0: Typically, we're going through one book at a time and kind of going passage at a time. And uh, for the next few weeks, we're just going to be concentrating on some passages around Easter, around Jesus, and talking about Jesus specifically. And so um, we're going to be working out of John 1, 1 to 8 uh, to start this morning, and then we're going to branch off into a number of things. Uh, In the next three weeks, we're going to cover three sort of... Overarching topics. And I've realized this is a bit of an impossible task in the first two weeks of this, and I'll tell you why in a second. But uh, this week we're talking about Jesus as God. And next week we're talking about Jesus as man. And uh, you would think that you could separate those two topics and, like, you know, think about them. In separate boxes, uh, relatively easily. But actually, it turns out it's very difficult to separate the Godness of Jesus from the manness of Jesus. And uh, it is this uh, theological mystery that we call the hypostatic union, which is a very uh, fun word to say, but we don't really know much about. Uh, but basically means that Jesus is fully God and fully man. That's a belief from what the Bible teaches, not from what our brains can understand. So it's important to say that, that like your brain can't actually understand that one person could be fully something and also fully something else in their existence because that's bigger than your existence. So anyway, that aside, it's been difficult to separate just the God portion for this passage or this time um, and think through that um, and talk about its importance. But it is actually very important for us to talk about this um, because uh, a lot of people look at Jesus and think about Jesus as a great teacher. And uh, I'm going to talk about that a little bit, but I think before I jump into that, I'm going to go ahead and pray for our time. We'll read some of 1 John John 1 um, and then talk through the, the importance of this as a topic. So if you would join me in prayer. God, we are thankful for the opportunity to look at your word, to be challenged and encouraged by what it proclaims about who you are and who we are. And Lord, we do pray that during this time you would just awaken our hearts to who you are, who you've revealed yourself to be in Scripture. Um, challenge us, uh, challenge us in that, God, and, and um, grow us closer to you. Uh, Lord, we pray for this time that your uh, words would be mine, God, uh, that you take amen. my words away and that, Spirit, you would be speaking through me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So John 1, 1-8 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So again, we're talking about today the the fact of Scripture that Jesus is God. Um, again, as I said earlier, it's an important point to talk through. Um, you know, one because it's a fundamental uh, belief that is proclaimed by by Scripture, uh, but also because our uh, our adherence or our our understanding of that belief has been changing. Uh, in American culture, but even within Christian culture. Uh, last year in the fall, Ligonier Ministries did a survey of uh, theology, the status of theology in America. And so it asked a question, um, is Jesus a good teacher um, and, and not God? Is he just a good teacher and not God? Is that, you know, is that, would you say that that statement is True. And so 51% of Americans in the survey said, yeah, he's not God. He's just a great teacher, 51%. Now, that may be, you know, maybe not as concerning as the next thing that I'll share with you um, because, you know, if you look at America and say, okay, there aren't maybe a whole lot of people that are following the Bible, and so that's kind of an understanding that there could be a significant percentage of people that don't believe that Jesus is God because they're not... You know, studying the Bible. <clears throat> However, in the survey, they found 32%. Now, this is a pretty big number for the statement, but 32% of people who would claim to be evangelical, um, and all the <laughs> weight that that term sort of pulls into it, into our culture, set that part aside. But just think about it, people who are saying, I believe in the Bible. 32% of those say, Yeah, he's just a great teacher. You wouldn't, wouldn't consider him God. That's pretty impressive. Um, And the trend of this, if you look at it by age, is that 22% of 65 and older uh, would say, yeah, just a good teacher, not God. And now uh, of the age category, 18 to 34, 36%. So the trend, like as you go through the age groups, is that more and more of the generations are believing, oh yeah, he's just a great teacher, he's not really God. This is within evangelical culture. Uh, not mainline culture, not, you know, uh, non-church-going culture, like evangelical culture, we believe the Bible is true, you know, that kind of a thing. So it's an important thing for us to digest because the Bible is pretty clear on this, and we'll walk through some scripture that, that says uh, what the Bible says, um, but it's very important for us to get this very fundamental fact Uh, that's kind of hard to separate because it's so ingrained in my upbringing (laughs) that Jesus is God. Um, It's important for us to proclaim and to affirm uh, this truth. C.S. Lewis put it this way, and you've probably heard the quote in a paraphrased version, but this is the full quote that uh, C.S. Lewis shares about Jesus just being represented as a teacher. And that is C.S. Lewis who is uh, saying, if you read the Bible and come away saying, oh yeah, Jesus just proclaims himself to be a teacher and doesn't proclaim himself to be God, then this is what C.S. Lewis would say of you. Um, He says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, right? No one's a poached egg here, right? No? Okay, cool. Um, Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. C.S. Lewis says, when I read the words of Jesus, just read what Jesus says about himself, he doesn't leave us room to say, Ah, he's got some good teachings. He's got some good thoughts about life. Jesus says otherwise about himself. So in our passage that we wanna that I want to start with, um, this is John sharing about who Jesus is from the outset. John 1, 1-8 very clearly portrays Jesus as God. He doesn't really leave any room for it. Um, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John's using a lot of repetition here to make sure we don't have any wiggle room to get out of what he's trying to say. The beginning... The word was there. The word was with God and the word was God. There is no separation from the word and God. He was there with them. He was him. Verse 2, he is in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Later on in the passage, and we'll get to more of uh, in the next week, is the realization from context that who he is speaking about, the word and him, is Jesus. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's who he's talking about, is Jesus In the beginning, so you could replace some words here and understand what John is saying. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus not anything was made that was made. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. John is speaking of Jesus here, being in the beginning. Verse 14 says, and the word, who he's talking about in verse 1, became flesh and dwelt among us. He's speaking of Jesus. So what do we learn from those verses about Jesus? First, he's eternal. Right? His existence predates his coming to earth. Because if he's the word, then he was in the beginning was with God in the beginning. And he is God. Jesus is unified with God, if that's who we're talking about. He was in the beginning with God, verse 2. Jesus is the creator, if that's who we're talking about. All things were made through Jesus, and without him not anything was made that was made. Jesus is the source of life for, uh, for the beginning of four. In him was life. Jesus is our very hope in the darkness. It's his light that shines into the darkness. John sets up in contrast, okay, you've got Jesus described as uh, eternal, unified with God, creator, source of life, source of our hope, But he's also not man. Not man in the sense that we think of him. Because verse 6 and 8 talk about a man who Jesus actually considered the greatest in the kingdom later on. He says, John the Baptist is the greatest in the kingdom, though he seems to be the least. John says in verses 6 to 8 of John the Baptist, there was a man, and he was sent from God. His name was John. But he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. This, the the greatest in the kingdom, as Jesus puts it. From the outset of uh, John, we see Jesus proclaimed as God. Throughout Scripture, we see this Unified statement that, that Jesus is God. In John chapter 8, verses 54 to 59, we hear Jesus um, speaking with the Pharisees about life, and he says in, in uh, 8.54, Jesus answered, "'If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. "'It is my Father who glorifies me, "'of whom you say he is our God.'" but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I did not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus here is speaking to those who are questioning around him and saying that he's not bringing glory to himself, but rather, God is glorifying the Son. So, I mean, if you're willing to, you know, put yourself out there and say, the God of the universe is glorifying me, that's a pretty bold claim of your status, right? In and of itself. But then to go on to say... Um, If I would say anything different, I would just, I'd be a liar. I can't say anything different than that because it is what it is. It is true. I am the one that God is glorifying. I'm not glorifying myself, but God is glorifying me. It's verse 56 that tripped up the crowds in this instance. He says, Your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now at this point, the people around him are thinking, you're 30. Like, how how do you know what Abraham longed for? Would you claim to be greater than him? So the Jews said to him, you're not yet, well, you're not yet 50. He wasn't 50, he was like, anyway. Uh, You're not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus' reply Is truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So before Abraham existed, Jesus is saying, I existed. That word I am is I I am the existing one. I exist. I am the one that exists. When you talk about the, the name of God in the Old Testament, Lord, it's I am the I am. There's nothing before me. I, I am, period. I can't describe it because it's just fact. I exist. I am the I am. I am the existing one. To show you just how powerful that kind of statement is to the Pharisees around, verse 59. 59. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so the response from the crowd to that statement was, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. If we were confused about what the gravity of what Jesus was saying about himself, the response of those around is the response one would take if someone were blaspheming God. And so they are stoned, want to stone him because his claim is that he exists before Abraham, that he is the I am. Jesus is the pre-existing one. Like we read last week, Colossians 1:15 to 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We're clearly talking about Jesus here, and about Jesus it is saying he is the image of the invisible God. By All things were created by him and for him and through him in heaven and on earth. Now, if you look at scripture and say, you know, the Bible doesn't really say Jesus is God. It's just he's a really good teacher. You're kind of already boxed in just with a couple of cursory looks at some scripture. Scripture says that this one whose blood was shed on the cross was not just some man on some uh, half-thought-out crusade. He's the one who has existed from all eternity and who came to die for our sins. He's God. Another scene that we see of Jesus is... uh, You know, he's doing a a many number of miracles in his time. And so people are hearing about the miracles that he's doing and they're bringing people to him and and asking for healing, as you would do if you found someone that had, you know, a a remedy that would heal anything that you come into contact with. You would definitely, like, go any journey to to resolve the issue that you've probably been struggling with for a very long time. And so people were coming from all over the place. And in Luke chapter 5 verses 20 to 26, we see the story of, uh, of the friends who brought the paralytic to Jesus through the roof. They're digging up the thatch roof to lower their friend down so that he may be healed by Jesus. And there's so many crowds around listening to Jesus speak, so he's obviously a well-known teacher, um, but he's more than that. His friends know that this man can heal. And so they drop him down through the roof And Jesus' response to them is not what they expect. In Luke chapter 5, verse 20 to 26, it says, When he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. He doesn't say, get up and walk. He doesn't heal him first the Pharisees and scribes begin to question, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're saying this to themselves, as you see in verse 22. Jesus perceived their thoughts and he answered them. So they didn't say it out loud. Jesus knew what they were thinking as soon as he said, your sins are forgiven you. And Jesus said, why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? or to say, rise and walk, but that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the man immediately rose, picked up what he had been laying on, and went home, glorifying God, and all stood in amazement. Jesus realizing that people are starting to just come for healing and healing is good and he wants to heal people. He's not against healing. He's for that, but he's also even more so for our hearts to understand who he is and what he is about doing. And so in that moment, when he sees this opportunity, he says, you know what? More importantly than your healing physically, your sins are forgiven, my son. and throws the whole, what probably had become like a routine scenario for Jesus to be about healing people and sharing great thoughts and wisdom and teaching that was maybe very hard to understand, he broke that pattern that had been created and said, you know what, your sins are forgiven. This is how much authority I have on earth. And immediately they questioned, who can forgive sins but God? God. And Jesus does not rebuke their statement. He simply says, Which is easier to say? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven, like, you know, because God forgives us. He says, But that you may know that I have authority to forgive sin on earth, rise and walk, paralytic. And he does. Scripture doesn't give us room to consider Jesus simply a teacher. Acts five thirty-one 31-32. God exalted him, Jesus, at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Jesus is preexistent, and Jesus is able to forgive Finally, Jesus says, he's the only way. John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be, and you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name... I will do it. Jesus claims to be the only way to the Father. He claims to be completely unified with the Father. He claims to be the one who speaks on the Father's authority that the Father has given to him. So we may have taken it for granted from time to time, but this deep and important truth is that Jesus is God. He claims to be nothing less than God. He's eternal. He's unified with God. He's the creator. He's the source of life. He is our only hope. If he's anything less than God, then he's a sinner like us, a broken man, unable to accomplish a work for us to restore us to God. If he's anything less than God, if he's just a man, just a teacher, then what Paul records of all humanity in Romans chapter 3 is true of Jesus. If he's not God, and just a man, just a great teacher, then we would have to say this of Jesus. No one is righteous, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throats an open grave and their tongues are to deceive. Their feet are swift to shed blood in their paths and ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God in their eyes. Romans says that before we understood what God did for us in his son, Jesus Christ, our thoughts and desires were only for ourselves, and and we would only go after those things which are for ourselves, which bring our own comfort or the comfort of those we love or whatever it may be. It was only human-focused. So if Jesus is less than God, if, if he's just a great teacher, then you have to lump him in with Romans... 310 You have to lump him in as just another son of Adam. He's more than a son of Adam, he's the son of God. One with the Father. 2 Corinthians 5:16 to 12. From now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though once we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away; behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I wrestled with this week um, the question, and it's more of a, again, I was talking to Connor about this earlier, it's more of a philosophical question than a biblical question, but the question was, why is it important that Jesus is God? I mean, couldn't God have just used Jesus, this human, to do a masterful work to save and redeem humanity? Why, why is it important, an important belief that Jesus is God? And there's a couple of things God saw fit. The only sacrifice worthy to save humanity was a perfect sacrifice. One without any sin. He, he demonstrates this from the front of the book to the back. It, when we're talking about sacrifices in the Old Testament, had to be a spotless lamb. Had to be one without perfection or without imperfection. And here in 2 Corinthians 5:21. Paul dissects it for us very clearly. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He did it to show how much he loves us. He didn't have to set it up, though. He's God. He could set up the thing however he wants to set up the thing. But it's beyond our logic. It takes us to a relationship that the God of the universe would go forth and, and give us this opportunity to choose him to say, I believe that guy and I want to follow him with my life. And on the chance that we don't choose him, he said, I'm going to send my son mm-hmm. to make sure anyone that does choose me has access to me. That him who knew no sin would be sin for me, that I could become the righteousness of God. I don't deserve that. None of us deserve that. We all can look back at probably the past week and see how much we don't deserve to be considered the righteousness and perfection of God. But God made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God. If we reduce Jesus to just a man, then he's only an example. And if he's only an example, first of all, we don't have access to God because we can't do it on our own. But the result is that our only hope in life is to get as close to God on our own effort as we can. And so many, many a uh, belief set has resulted from, you know what? I'm going to be as good as possible and hope it pans out. But when the standard is holiness, is of God, I mean, he's God. He's done nothing wrong, period, zero. He's perfect. If that's the standard, then how will I ever attain it? Even if I change my life today and do really good the rest of the time, I can't make up for the past. If we reduce Jesus to just a man, then there's no uh, light shining in the darkness, as John uh, describes it, because in Jesus is life. The life was the light of men. That light shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If Jesus is not God, then we're without hope. So I want to encourage you to rest in the truth that the Bible proclaims. God saw fit that in spite of our brokenness, in spite of um, our sin, He would come and be the sacrifice. He would come not as a man who is a sinner, but as a Savior. For our sake, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for the truth that You've revealed to us, the truth that um, the truth that You decided on, really, that that You saw fit in this world You created. to be the sacrifice for sinners like us. You didn't have to do it that way. You could have done it any way you wanted. You could have set up a perfect environment with, with uh, no decision to be made at all. But instead, you gave us a responsibility to choose you and you provided for the cost of that. The cost is that so often we don't choose you. The result is that we need you. So God, I pray that um, through my imperfect words, your spirit would move in our hearts and um, encourage us this day that you are our only hope. that would encourage us this day in the truth that Jesus, you are God and you paid for my sin on a cross and what a glorious truth that is. May the depth of that kind of love change the way that we treat one another and treat our world. And God, may that truth stir up worship in our hearts of you. That would see you as our only hope and stop striving in our own effort to be a little bit better. But rather to receive the righteousness of God in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ.